My name's Al Yano. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself in, in just a minute here. But I right now my official assignment is the director for uh, church multiplication for our state, the state of Ohio. So it's O-C-M-N, Ohio Church Multiplication Network. And I am the director of that. Um, I'm going to be doing a topic today called Community Transformation. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and principles that I've learned in impacting communities um, through God's church. But I also want to ask you a few questions. And what you're going to need to understand is I'm going to share principles that work everywhere, but I'm going to be sharing them from my point of view and from my my uh, experience, which has mainly been working in urban areas and in inner city areas. And so as I'm sharing these principles, I'll put a I'll put a taste on it that sounds urban. Where I need your brain to function is if your church is in a suburb or a rural area, how will you use that principle to bring about that that behavior? Does that make sense? All right. So that's why I need you close. And I'll make sure that when I choose you to talk that you're chewing. So I'll look really close to make sure because I love to embarrass people. Um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Whether you're interested or not, I'm going to tell you. Um, my wife and I, Paris, have six children. Uh, we have three children that we birthed um, naturally and three children that were birthed supernaturally to us because we have adopted three kids. Um, Paris and I have worked um, in Florida. We, our first church was in Florida, suffering for Jesus on the beaches of Florida. That was hardcore work. And then the Lord moved us from Florida to inner city Cleveland. So talk about culture shock. So there we were in the asphalt jungle, went from the beaches to the asphalt jungle. And we've done inner city ministry for the last 28 years or so. We were in Cleveland for two years, and then we went to Youngstown. We led a nonprofit in Youngstown that was started by the Church of Youngstown called Heartreach Ministries. And out of that nonprofit, we birthed a church that, that was a multicultural church uh, situated in probably one of the um, most challenging areas of our city. So like if you're doing a demographic study, let me just tell you how to do this church planting thing, because I'm a trained professional. Obviously, I have the title. Anyways, if you're doing a demographic study of where to plant a church in Youngstown, all right? Well, my neighborhood would be the place you would not plant a church, okay? Because people were moving out of the neighborhood. Um, there was a high crime rate. The schools were in a bad situation. There was a high uh, poverty rate and, and low uh, employment rate. And so it was right there in that area where we built, we were able to see God do a work in a multicultural um, church that brought about a transformation in one of the most blighted communities of our city. So that's a little bit about us. We were there in Youngstown um, for a long time, and I do believe that the topic today I'm talking about community transformation. There's a connection between long committed ministry in a community from a church, not from a person, and having the influence to change that community. So I just want to put that in your ear right now because 
uh, I want to talk about what does it take to transform a community. How many of you know that God, God only has one plan to bring about total restoration to the earth? And that one plan is the church. There's no plan B. And so we got to get it right. We're not there in a community just to build a great church. Hello? We're situated in our community to bring about a great revival, a great reformation. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I'd like to just open up by having a word of prayer. Is that all right? So I'm going to just call on this brother right here is chewing. Would you lead us in prayer? Sure will. See, I got you, man. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just love you and we praise you. And uh, we thank you for about what you're ready to give us through this gentleman. Father, um, open our ears and uh, to hear what you have to say. And bless everyone here today. With that, I say amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. So I'm going to throw a question out there. And uh, just see what you guys think about this. Is there a difference between community outreach and community impact? I, I'll just say the answer is yes. So now what's the, what is that difference? What is the difference between community outreach and community impact? I see you got an answer. Say it. Intention. Will you expound on that a little bit? Good. So she said being intentional about why you're doing it and what you're going to do and being strategic about it rather than just kind of shotgunning doing uh, events and stuff. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? Difference between community outreach and community impact. Yes. Okay, very good. Yeah, outreach can be, a lot of outreach tends to be a shot in the arm, events-driven, whereas impact is a process that uh, brings about long-term change. Excellent, excellent stuff. All right. Well, if you guys got all the answers, then I don't need to say anything. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Oh, very good. Okay. So the dynamic is community impact is about building relationships, outreach. Okay. Okay. So anybody else got an answer to that before I kind of try to organize the thoughts that you just shared? And I have? Okay. Here's what I want to say. Um, community outreach is often about evangelism, like someone said, or acts of service to reach a community with the gospel. Community impact is about utilizing the gospel to not only transform people, but to transform communities. So what I want to talk to you today about is the different stages of how a church can impact its community. And I'll kind of introduce these stages, um, but I'll really get specific uh, after I introduce them. So stage number one of what I call community impact is one that most churches always do. It's called, you know, just... I call it blessing your community. And it's, it's about events. It's about evangelism. Uh, the focus of stage one is, is to serve the people of your community. And it's usually about reaching out to your neighbors with the gospel and acts of service. 
But the goal of it usually is about getting an identity in the community. You want the community to know your church is there. Amen? And there's nothing wrong with that. Many of you, who's, who's going to do the Easter egg thing in about a week or two? All right? Those are good because it tells the community we, we're here. And we, we want to create an identity here. And you're blessing the community. You're making your presence known. Now, that's the first thing that needs to happen when you show up to a community, even my church, when we are in our community, that's where we started. We started with events. We started with being a blessing to our community. But things need to progress from there um, if you want to bring community impact. So level number two is what I call pastoring your community. That's when you're engaged and you're involved in the life of the community. So it's more than just getting an identity. And let me, let me say this too. Oftentimes, number one, let's just be honest, is a little bit church focused, church promotional. Am I right or am I wrong? I mean, I, I've done all the evangelism events and a lot of times those events are a mixture of we want you to get saved, but we want you to experience our church. That's okay. Because I, I believe if they experience my church and my, and the people of our church, they'll want to come to our church, right? That's okay. But level two be, be, starts to be, the center of level two starts to be the community. Now you're, you're starting to realize that God has not just called you as a church to raise up a church, but He's called your church to pastor a community. And so I call that influence. That's when the community allows you to be involved. And there's, there's a lot of different examples of ways that you can be involved in a community. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about that in a few minutes, and I'm sure we're going to pull out some of your ideas too, so be thinking about that. But level three is where I want to get to today, and that's what I call revitalizing your community. That's when you're involved in shaping the culture and the quality of life in your community. You're literally developing that community so that it will be a community impacted by the kingdom of God. This is where transformation takes place. This is where the quality of life begins to change. Now, it's really obvious if you're involved in the kind of church that we were, which is a a church in the city, because if stage three is actually happening, then you're literally seeing the quality of life in your neighborhood change, and you can measure it. I mean, you could see crime going down. You you could see businesses, you know, starting to increase. You could see people moving into the neighborhood and wanting to live there because it's a peaceful place. Now, I'm not sure how you can measure it, say, in a suburban area or in a rural area, but you should see change, and you should see the influence of the church in the community. So, We'll be talking about that. Let me, let me give you a for instance. Uh, the Presbers and, and several of us pastors, um, went to Tanzania about a week or two ago. We were there for two whole weeks. And we met these missionaries in Tanzania that were missionaries. They would go to these bush areas where these little villages were that were totally isolated from the rest of, of the culture. And they kind of lived there, you know, um, very remotely. And so in these communities, there was no, first of all, there was no church. There were no schools. The kids didn't go to school. It was all about survival. The Maasai warriors would go and they'd hunt and all that. And it was all about survival. And so the missionaries would go in there and they want to bring the gospel. 
Well, they oftentimes they didn't get permission to go in there and bring the gospel until the people felt comfortable with them. So here's what they would do. They would go in and they say, look, if we can bring you water, if we can find water so that you don't have to walk five miles one way to get water, we can find it right here for you. Will you allow us to tell you about our God? Will you allow us to build a school and build a church? And they say, oh, yeah, if you can find water, hey, we'll do it. And they would bring in an organization, and that organization would drill, and lo and behold, they'd they'd strike water, they'd create a well there, and now those people's quality of life drastically changed, right? Drastically changed. They say, not only do we want a well here, we want your children have the deserve to learn. They deserve to get their education. It's critical. All right, build a school. You brought us water, build a school. Now the quality of life is drastically changing. Then they say, well, we want a church. Then they build a church. So you see how the gospel is not just meant to say to change us on the inside as human beings. The gospel is powerful enough to change the whole fabric of society. And you know what amazes me? Now I'm going to get a little fired up. Now I'm a I'm a I'm a preacher. What amazes me is it it feels like in the American culture we're spending too much time trying to figure out how the gospel fits into the culture. Because we keep looking at the gospel through the lens of the culture saying, how do we make it relevant? When God said, "Whoa, I'm not here to make it relevant. I'm here to I'm here to revolutionize this culture." So what you need to learn to do is look at the culture through the lens of the gospel. When you look at the culture through the lens of the gospel rather than the gospel through the lens of the culture, then you'll begin to see how the gospel will not just change people, it will change communities. Amen? If you believe that, say amen. Oh, good. I, I, I'm sorry. I preach to a church that talks to me all the time. And so uh, I have people like I can, I, I'll be preaching to my church. They'll finish the sermon for me. I don't even have to finish my sentences. So what I want to do is I want to look at the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I call that the shortest man in the Bible, Nehemiah. I'll let it lay out there for a while. And I want to use it as a manual, uh, kind of like a transcript, to talk about community transformation. So let's take a look at Nehemiah. Uh, let's kind of lay this out, and we're going we're gonna to walk step by step. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Uh, if you, if you read that, and I'm gonna have to, um, well, that's the only reading I'll do. Let me turn in the Bible to that. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I don't have my glasses, so is there anybody that is willing to read for me? Anybody? Where you at? Oh, okay. Can I bring this to you? Oh, come to me. You want me to get it? You, obviously, you want me to use mine. One through four. Okay. All right. Sure. Oh, man. It has all the funky names in it. Thanks for that. <laughs> the words of Nehemiah, the son of Haklai. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. 
I didn't want to read those names. Hallelujah. So Nehemiah, he comes home to, to his, his homeland, to, to Jerusalem for two basic reasons. He's there, first of all, to restore his people, right? To give his people back their identity. And he's there to restore a nation. So he was on a mission to do two things, to, to, to help the people realize who, that, who they are. They're God's people and to rebuild the walls, to rebuild a city. I want us to think along those lines when you think about your church and why your church is in the community that it's in. And we're just kind of going to walk through and learn from Nehemiah. So the first thing that I saw that Nehemiah did is he identified with the people and the problems. He identified with the people and the problems. You see, we need to learn to care and to be aware about the major problems that are plaguing our community and how they affect the people that are there. So it's not enough just to land a church in the community. And a lot of churches, like in, in the city that I was in, there would be a church in the city, but the members lived somewhere else. So they would drive into the city, have church, leave the building, go back to where they lived, and never come back to that neighborhood until they had church again. Well, you're not going to change a community that way, and you're going to kill a church that way, right? And so it's really important that you learn to identify. So like when, for instance, when I, when I came to Youngstown and, and was thinking about moving into Youngstown, my family's words to me were, okay, now you got to buy your house in the right area, you know, because you got to have that resale value and you can't have your kids going to a bad school. So you need to buy a house here in Boardman or whatever, because you want to make sure your kids are in a good school and your neighborhood's safe and you'll be able to resell their house. And I'm saying to them, no, you don't understand here. <laughs> I'm called to Youngstown. I have to live in Youngstown. And God will cover my children. And they'll be like, no, you're crazy. You can't do that to your kids. I, I remember um, early on when we were living in Cleveland, and uh, we, we, took, we, were, we were working in Cleveland in the project areas of Cleveland. Anybody from Cleveland? Anybody here? Okay. So we were on the east side in the projects of Cleveland, and my wife was teaching uh, sidewalk Sunday school. We had like 200 kids on the on the tarp. She's teaching sidewalk Sunday school. My one son's in a papushka. Is that what it's called when they're wearing them right on their chest? A papu? I don't know. Some kind of thing. She's holding the baby here. All right. My other son's standing over here. He's two. This one's one. And she's teaching with my son here. And a police uh, sting operation goes down. And when they arrest somebody in Cleveland, like they pull out all the stops. And so she's teaching on, on a, a parable about the Good Samaritan or something. This police car comes up over the hill and just slams on his brakes right where we were standing and almost hits my son. The officers jump out of the car. I, I kid you not. It, it couldn't have been better in the movies. Jumps out of the car with their, with their guns drawn. And this drug dealer comes running through the middle of our sidewalk Sunday school helicopters are flying over they tackle the guy he's on the ground the kids are like this is the best bible story i've ever seen in my life <laughs> paris is like i don't think it was meant to go this way i'm snatching my son up and i put him in the bus and and i remember i felt so foolish and and i remember sharing with the family after that and they were like are you crazy bringing your children out there and i'm like yeah, you're right. I should have never have done that. What is wrong with me? I'm so, uh, that was so foolish. I'll never bring my kids out there again. 
And God spoke to me and said, well, how come it's okay for those 200 kids sitting on that tarp to be there, but it's not okay for your kids to be there? I called your family. I didn't call you. And from that moment on, I told God, we will be a part of what the people go through in the community that we live in. And we lived 28 years in that community. And, and it, there's just something about identifying with the problems of your community and the people of your community that, that brings legitimacy to your church's ministry. Amen? Um, I got to do this really quick. Who lives in a rural area? Raise your hand. You live in a rural area. Can you tell me one thing that's unique to your community? No neighbors. <laughs> All right. Well, that could be an issue trying to spread the gospel. How about like a, a, a challenge in that community? What is it? What? So you're saying you have too many churches. Wow, that's interesting. What would you say, Dave, in your community? I bet you I know what I'm, you're going to say. Go ahead. Yeah. Addiction. Rural communities have a huge opioid problem right now. Y'all think it's happening in the city, but most of the people I work with through Teen Challenge are from rural areas. It's opioid crisis is huge. So we got to learn, you know, what is it that people are struggling with? Any, anybody else got something going on? Yes. Wow. The opioid crisis. See, the same problems that happen in my city happen in the rural areas. So foster care is a big issue and the opioid crisis and kids being raised by. So those are things we need to learn to identify. What, what, what are the problems? And, and so number two, Nehemiah didn't just identify with the problems and the people, but he prayed. Now, I, I, I can't say this enough. He prayed passionately. He prayed strategically. He prayed corporately. He prayed consistently. He wept and he fasted and he prayed and he got the heart of God. And he didn't just go into his prayer closet and pray about the issue. He prayed that God would help him to be the solution to the issue. So when we go to God and we begin to pray on behalf of our cities, we need to pray strategically like, God, what is your heart? God, what is your will? What action steps do you want us to take? And we need to understand the power of prayer. My wife and I kind of did a whole class on the power of prayer uh, about two sessions ago. But every transformation I have ever seen, supernatural transformation in a community, was fueled by passionate and purposeful corporate prayer. So the question I'm asking is not do you pray at your church for the community. Listen to me. The question I'm asking is do you pray with the church for your community? In other words, not do you have prayer meetings at your church. Does your church pray with other churches? For your community. The opioid crisis has been a rallying point all over this state and nation for churches to come together in a spirit of unity. I, I remember going to one prayer meeting in, in our community that had 900 people present. And the mayor and the police chief, they were all there. And we were praying about this opioid crisis. The goal was to come out of that with a strategy. 
The goal was to come out of that. But, you know, when you pray on behalf of your community, and I thought what was very interesting is Nehemiah prayed, and then Nehemiah went and he examined the walls. Remember, I'm going to get to that in a minute. One of the things that we do when we pray for our community in Youngstown is we'll go to a zone that is having a stronghold issue. So, like, if there's a neighborhood where there's been a lot of shootings or gang violence, we will go with the church. We won't pray about that neighborhood in our church. We will take the church to that neighborhood, and we will show up with 20 to 50 people, and we will walk around that neighborhood, and we'll prayer walk. And as we're prayer walking, every time we see a person, because, I mean, they're going to be like, what are you people doing walking around my neighborhood? We go up to them and say, hey, we're prayer walking your neighborhood. We're sorry about the the violence that took place here. We're your neighbor. We care about you. Is there any way we could pray for you? And even as we're prayer walking a neighborhood, tearing down strongholds, we're leading people to Christ. It is the coolest thing in the world to to pray and then see God answer your prayers. One time we there there's um, Pastor Gary knows the street that our church is on South Avenue, and there's 15 alcohol establishments within a. Uh, stretch of, I think, a mile going down the main street that we're on. 15 alcohol establishments, and there may be even more. So we decided enough of this, because a lot of the violence was around those bars. You know, they'd be coming coming out of the bar at 3 a.m. in the morning drunk, and they got a gun on them, you know, and that's just a bad formula. Someone carrying a gun, and they're drunk, and someone gets on their nerves, and they get in a fight, and that's when people die. So we said enough of this, so we started prayer walking the bars, the, the whole street, and we'd stop at every bar with, you know, with all these people from my church. So obviously the people in the bar who weren't allowed to smoke in the establishment but had to smoke outside, they're like, hey, what you all doing out here? And they're drunk, and we, we told them what we're doing. These people would break down crying. Of course, drunk people kind of get emotional. I get that. But, <laughs> but they literally break down crying. Pray for me. We were walking down South Avenue one time, and we were we were praying, and this car comes whipping around the corner, whipping, almost ran me over, pulls in pulls in the lot right here, and I'm walking, gets out of his car, falls on his knees right there in the street, and says, "Pray for me, preacher." I said, "What are you doing? There's traffic. I can't take it anymore. I'm addicted to drugs. I need to be free." And I know you guys are walking the street praying. Pray for me right now. That was the coolest thing in the world. We got to lay hands on him and pray for him and ask the Lord to, to deliver him. So passionate, corporate, consistent prayer, I tell you what, brings down strongholds. Amen? So number three, here's where it's going to get deep. Now we're going to get into some, now we're going to get into some stuff. Nehemiah studied the community and the culture. Chapter 2, verse 15, I went up on the valley at night examining the wall. Examining the wall. And he talks about how he went all around that city examining the walls. Let's bring some symbolism into this. The walls of a city were very uh, strategic to a city, right? They, they, they brought in protection. Oftentimes the walls of the city were a center of commerce, right? That's where a lot of the business took place at the walls of the city. A lot of the judgments took place at the gates and the walls of the city where the judge would stand there and they would hold court right there. You know, at the wall. So there were strategic things happening at the walls of the city. And so what, what Nehemiah did is he studied those walls. He studied those walls. And I, I, I believe he was praying as he studied the culture. And he was thinking, how am I going to make a difference? And uh, so 
the statement I want to make is I cannot truly impact the community unless I'm willing to be intimately involved in that community. When you think of your community and where most of the activity in the life of your community takes place, make a list in your head or make a list on your paper where you're taking notes of where most of the life takes place. And I, I guarantee you it'll probably come in one of six areas. One of six areas. Let me name them for you real quick. Schools. If you agree, you guys got schools in your community, say amen. I mean, I'm not sure you have schools because you said there's no people in your community. But the, every community has schools, right? Every community has sports. Amen? Every community has civic or neighborhood community groups. Like mine has block watches, um, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, different groups like that um, that go on. Um, Rotary Club, that kind of stuff. Every community has civic groups that are trying to invest in the community. Every community has nonprofit organizations. You have nonprofit organizations. In your, they're trying to increase the quality of life, right? Pregnancy Help Center and Teen Challenge, Rescue Mission in my community, um, maybe neighborhood centers where people could get groceries and stuff. Number five, every community has government and leadership, right? City council or or mayors. And, and number six, usually every community has some form of arts where they do plays or they have concerts or some form of the arts takes place in that community. What I would challenge you to do is in your community, if you want to start to engage, choose one to three of those areas and make up your mind that you are going to get involved in the life of your community in those three areas. In, in our case, in Youngstown, um, we got involved pretty much at the very beginning. We did three basic things, three main areas. Number one, we got involved in the neighborhoods. So we did this thing called Adopt-A-Block. You may have heard of it before. That's a group of our kids, and we would go into the blighted areas. We'd pick up trash. We would put in community gardens on vacant lots. I would teach the kids about work skills and how to work hard. And they'd learn how to use lawn equipment, stuff like that. Go ahead, throw up the next one. And so we would be involved in neighborhood engagement. Second thing was schools. We decided we're going to get involved in our schools because our school system was a mess. They had behavior problems. They, You know Youngstown school system was the first school system in the whole state of Ohio to be taken over by the state. In other words, they totally suspended our school board, totally removed the superintendent, and they the governor himself placed a CEO over our school system. And there's so much dysfunction there. So we said, we're going to get involved in our school system. So we got involved in our school system um, doing uh, projects for the students. This was a party that we did. You want to show one more picture there? This is called, um, oh, this is really cool. This is called release time. Have you ever heard of release time before? Release time is is a legal way, and it's been passed in the state of Ohio, by which churches can go to public schools and take the students off campus to their church or to a a site for one hour during the school day and teach them Bible. It's a legal way to do it. They they put release time in place, and we need to take advantage of it. The reason the release time was existed was because of Jews and Muslims in America. They demanded that their children that had to go to public school, they had the right to learn about 
their religion. And so they passed a law saying, okay, you could take your Jewish children or your Muslim kids off campus, or you could do it on campus one hour a day during a school day, one hour a week during a school day, you could teach them your religion. So we took advantage of that and said, well, why can't we do it as Christians? And so during the school day, during lunchtime, we go and pick up students from five different schools in Youngstown. We bring them to a, a, a church, not just our church, whatever church is closest to them, have lunch with them, teach them the Bible, talk to them about character and leadership and God, pray with them, and then take them back to school. So that's just an idea. So we got involved in the schools. And then the third thing we got involved in was um, community development. So our church decided if you want to change a community, then you got to be, you got to lead the way. So we had, what we found is we had a lot of block watches in our community. Um, we had a lot of neighborhoods that were blighted with trash. We had a crime problem in our community. And so we put together the neighbors as well as the churches and the, and, and the businesses in our neighborhood. And we formed this organization called Sandy, South Avenue Neighborhood Development Initiative. And with Sandy, we kind of put a plan together that says, what would this neighborhood look like if God showed up and changed not just the atmosphere of people, but the atmosphere of the culture? Our church, because we were at the table and we were already in leadership, we got to write the script. So the business people would come in and we'd say, well, what do you want to see happen in the business world? And they'd tell us, we wrote it down. The neighborhoods would we'd say, what do you want to happen in your neighborhood? And they'd tell us, we want, we want playgrounds in this neighborhood. We want these houses torn down and are vacant. We want these drug houses closed. We'd write the whole script. And I'll tell you about this later on, but because we were engaged in cleaning up the neighborhood, when the mayor took office... He came to us and he said, all right, I want to work a plan to totally revitalize the south side of Youngstown. Do you guys have any ideas? I went to my desk, I pulled it out, and I put it on the table. He says, oh, this is a pretty good plan. I said, look, you can take credit for it as long as you do it. And don't you know he made that plan his development plan for the whole south side of Youngstown. He took our plan. So whenever they decided what houses to knock down, what business... It was in our plan. Where to put a playground? That was our, that was all in our plan. They re, they repaved the roads. They put lighting in. They, they concentrated, uh, police cars and hot spots where there was a lot of crime. We dictated the development of that community. And it was because we were engaged in that community. Isn't that cool? So Nehemiah examined and studied the community. Now, number four, chapter two, verses 17 and 18. He mobilizes the people. He says to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We will no longer be a disgrace. So they said, let us rise and build. Then they set their hands to the good work. Nehemiah united and mobilized the people. When he saw the problem and he prayed about the problem, God showed him a process. And he began to mobilize the people and accomplish the task. You can only impact your community, listen to this, through the community of committed believers. It's not one church. Your church is a a great tool of God. But God has not called your church only. There's other churches in your community, hello, that are great churches also. 
And I, I just got to be honest with you. I had to come to the realization that although the Lord did a great work in my life by being an Assembly of God pastor and through Assembly of God churches, I had to come to the realization that not everyone that got saved in Youngstown was going to be an Assembly of God believer. But it was really important that they be a Church of God believer, right? And and so I had to realize that that our church was not going to change this city. I, I can't tell you the number of people who have come into town and they, they come through my office because they know we have a little bit of a reputation. They say, hey, pastor, I just wanted you to know we're going to plant a church in Youngstown and, and God's given me this big vision and we're going to accomplish all this stuff. Would you join us? And my first question is, well, don't you think that the same thing God showed you, he may have showed me <laughs> or 10 other people who have been here for 10 years? Why don't you join us and then add what you have to the group? You see, there's there's no superheroes in your community except the church. So we have got to learn how to mobilize people to make a powerful impact for the kingdom. Does that make sense? Let me give you some examples. Um. I'll just give you an example. Remember, I'm just giving you the context of my life. You have to take a look at your life. One of the biggest problems that we have in, in Youngstown is violence, gang violence, and shootings and crime and all that type of stuff. So we got to the point where it was getting so bad that teenagers were shooting teenagers. And it got to the point where in one month I did three funerals for three teenagers, and two of them were girls. That's bad. When girls are getting, it's bad enough for teenagers to kill each other, but now you're killing girls? That just, that, that, so we were so disturbed, and the police chief was disturbed, the pastors in that community were disturbed, um, the, the, the mayor was disturbed, and everybody was disturbed about what to do about all this violence. So we got together with the church, and we, you know, it, it's not hard to get Baptists and Pentecostals and, and non-denominational people on the same page when you're doing funerals one after another, right? We're all doing funerals for dead young people. It was not hard to pick up the phone and say, why don't we pray about this? And we began to pray about this. And we began to think about, well, what are we going to do? we got to mobilize the church to do something. And so the mayor's assistant came to us and he said, look, here's the deal. We're putting a team together, and all we need you to do is be on the team. We're going to pull in the professionals. And so we're going to have the FBI. We're going to have the federal uh, prosecutors with us. We're going to have the drug task force. We're going to have the violent crime task force. We're bringing in all the heavy hitters. And they're going to do a really good job at their job. They're going to invade these violent zones. We're going to start arresting these kids. We're going to we're going to we're going to put them in jail. We're going to get these guys off the street that are violent. And we're going to we're going to do our job. But honestly, we don't want to lock all these kids up. So if you'll do your job and we do our job, together this will be a better place. So pastors, do what you do best. Take your church message to the streets. That's what they told us. So we said, well, we could do that. So we came together and we started talking about, let's do these outreach events. Let's hit the streets with these evangelism. And we decided to do 12 evangelism events and we would put those 12 events in the most vi- 12 most violent zones in our city. We were choosing the area based upon the number of people that lived there, 
the amount of crime that was taking place and the number, how there was blight there, which is abandoned houses used by drug dealers. And so we chose 12 sites. We went to the police chief and they had this big meeting and it was so cool in that meeting to hear how the FBI was going to, I felt like I was part of like this task force and they were, they were all dressed up and they had their tattoos and they had all their machine guns in the room. And here's our strategy. We're going to bust this drug house and then we're going after this gang and they had to map up and everything. And then they came, they went around the room. What are you going to do? Here's what we're going to do. And then they get to us. What are you going to do? Here's what we're going to do. And I slap my plan down. Us preachers are going to go into these zones. Whoa, whoa, you ain't going to those zones without an escort. Okay, you come with us. And then we're going to go into these zones. We're going to have these big carnivals and this gospel music. And we're going to bring teen challenge. They're going to tell their testimonies. And we're going to bring these gang guys that got saved. And we're going to preach the gospel. And that sounds like a pretty good plan. What do you need? We need money. You need money. What do you need money for? We got to buy food. We got to buy bounce houses, carnival games. How much you need? $15,000. Okay, we'll get you $15,000. That's how it worked. And that first year, we went out and did 12 events. The police went with us everywhere. And at every event, we preached the gospel. At the end of the event, we had resource tables, Teen Challenge and Rescue Mission and Pregnancy Help Center and the, the local community college, if you want to get a job, and and uh, Head Start for the kids. We had all these resource tables, and we just began to invade the neighborhood. We called it Now Youngstown. And we said, "Why, if you're going to be there, police officers, don't be there as these stone-faced guards. Be there as part of the community. So they would come, and they would drive the kids around, and they would get involved with the kids. And after the first year, the the um, the police chief wrote his report. Violent crime in the neighborhoods that we were in decreased. I'm being conservative when I tell you this by 65%. 65% in one year. 65%. We went from 45 homicides to 12. In one year, we mobilized the people. And, and God began to move because we mobilized the people. So what I'm trying to say is biblical collaboration is about the energy producing and kingdom producing relationships. There's so much more than I could say about that. But I will tell you that that group now Youngstown has been six years going on now. And, uh, and, and every year now they're going to give us a, we're applying for a $50,000 grant. So every year they've given us 15, then they gave us 20, then they gave us 25. And, and we organized, let's see, throw up another picture. Is the other picture there? Yeah, go one more. Those are, now we organized an event at the, uh, the convention center, a book bag event, and we did it with the school system and the police department. And we gave away, uh, I don't know, 3,000 book bags or something like that. And the police department and the school system paid for the whole thing. It was awesome. We raised the money for the book bags, and they paid for all the food. But collaborate for heaven's sake. Now, we told them, look, if we're going to do this, you have to let us be who we are. You have to let us be who we are. We don't want to offend people, but we, we are the church. And we have one message. Jesus is the only way. We are not going to invest our time, effort, and energy just to come put on a fun zone for people. We are going to preach the gospel. Because these are critical times, and we need to be free to do what we do. And we were in some very dark places. And so they said, be who you are. Now, 
translate that to suburban America. That may not always be the message. You may have to do something a little different to engage your community because suburban people tend to be very easily offended or uh, they get paranoid about Christians. So you may have to earn it through relationships, all right? However you got to do it, be involved. Some churches say, well, if we can't preach the gospel, I'm not doing nothing. Well, that's not the way to do it. If you want to bring change to your community, you got to be at the table. So sometimes you just got to get at the table first. Once you're at the table, then you can influence the culture of what happens. Does that make sense? So in, in Youngstown, you see, here's the deal. When you're in a desperate situation, nobody cares if God's going to be involved. Whatever works, let it happen. And I, I think we can learn some lessons from the desperate people that live in our inner cities. You know, they, they know they need Jesus. Uh, in the suburbs, you may have to help them understand it a little bit more. But the, the, the key is working together. Do you know what makes the greatest statement that the church is really doing the right thing? When they see that Pentecostals and Baptists can work together. <laughs> Hello? When they see that we can collaborate and work together for the, the greater good. Okay, so that's, that's that. Um, number five, Nehemiah influenced the powerful on behalf of the powerless. Nehemiah chapter five, verse seven. Nehemiah says, I pondered them in my mind and then I accused the nobles and the officials and I told them, you've been exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And I said, as far as possible, we brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling our brothers only for them to be sold back to us. And they kept quiet because they couldn't find anything to say. So I said, what you're doing is not right. What was going on here? Nehemiah was addressing an issue of biblical justice. The Jews were oppressing the Jews. They were, they were, they were already, these people were already beaten down. They were already struggling with poverty. They were already trying to rebuild their lives. And now all these rich Jews come to lead it, to lead the transformation. And they're starting to take advantage of them with taxes and usury and all kinds of stuff going on. This was a biblical justice issue. And Nehemiah, who was one of the officials and had every right to enforce the law and to take advantage of his position, said, I will not do that. In fact, Nehemiah said, not only will I, I will not live in this big castle up here while everybody else is doing all the work, I'm going to get right down there and work with them. And not only am I going to do that, I'm going to stand up on their behalf. You will not abuse these people. And so he spoke to the powerful on behalf of the powerless. You get where I'm coming from? Now, I know that I didn't get a strong amen on that for a reason. Because sometimes evangelical Pentecostals, we get moral justice. There's nobody in this room going to disagree with me when I say abortion's wrong, right? And if I ask you to speak to your neighbors and your family about the value of life, I don't think anyone in this room is going to argue with me. But if I tell you racism is wrong also. <laughs> Hello? But if I tell you it's not fair for us 
to work so hard to make sure that a baby has the right to be born, but not work hard to make sure that that kid that was born has the right to have a quality of life. Hello? And so we've got to get to the point where we understand that God commands us to be about his business. And he has always been about speaking to the powerful on behalf of the powerless. That's what got Jesus crucified. That's what got Paul in trouble. Come on now. That's what almost got Esther killed. (laughs) Right? There's something that God wants us to do as a church that we need to understand. If you want to start changing the culture around you, then you we have got to stop allowing the culture to write the script for us. I mean, perfect example the last two years when all the, the violence had been going on, where there were some police shootings, right, right? Police shootings and, and uh, a, a lot of the racism that took place through the presidential election and all the dialogue that was going on. Come on, let's be for real. You know, Republican, Democrat, and, and all that kind of stuff going on. And, you know, try pastoring my church when that's going down. I got white people from the suburbs going to church with people from the inner city of other races. I got Democrats and Republicans in my church. I, I got people who've been, my own children, my own children, who are black, African-American, have been profiled many times by police. My be- I work with the police. My children, will get they've gotten pulled over on a regular basis when they drive through certain parts of town. And the question is always, what are you doing here? Do you know what I'm talking about? We need to get involved in those conversations. So here's what we did. First of all, the pastors that were part of that now Youngstown, when those police shootings were taking place all across the nation, people were getting mad everywhere. Our community didn't even have a problem with that going on. Our police were pretty good to us, but the people were lashing out at them. And so our pastors, we came to the police chief and said, look, here's the problem. Your officers have not connected with the culture. You think people are giving them a bad rap, but all they need to do is connect with the culture. So the police chief said, well, how do we do that? We said, well, let us train them. <laughs> so I, I, I came in and I brought ethnic pastors, Spanish, Hispanic, and African-American pastors, and they trained the police officers for a whole month on how to connect with the community, watching our language. But at the same time, as we were sitting there training them, they were training us. They were helping us to understand, look, pastor, I'm on shift for 10 hours at a time. Every time I show up, there's a crisis going on, ready to explode. Yeah, my guard's up, because I never know whether I'm going to go home or not. But unless we have this dialogue, you see, rather rather than the ethnic pastors marching in the streets holding up signs, we sat at the table. Come on now. We sat at the table with the police officers. We said, listen to us. And then we want to listen to you. And, and, and God did a great miracle of healing in our city. So Nehemiah influenced the powerful on behalf of the powerless. And uh, another thing that we did, um, in case you didn't notice, uh, state of Ohio has legalized medical marijuana. 
I don't know where you stand on that issue, and that's fine. But the next step is they are going to put on the ballot, maybe this year, maybe next, legalizing recreational marijuana. And so when that whole thing went down in our city, you know, our mayor was on the news, and our, our council people were on the news. They were saying, look, that's jobs for Youngstown, you know, because we're going to get one of these sites where they, where they do the uh, processing and the dispensing of, of legalized medical marijuana. And we're going to get jobs, and that's jobs, and that's jobs. I, you know, and, and I got together a contingent of pastors, and I made an appointment. I said, look, that's jobs at what expense? <laughs> we have an opioid crisis. And we sat down with them, and we laid out all the... All the stuff. We laid out all the facts. We did all of our homework. We had a face-to-face meeting. And the mayor looked at me and said, that's fine, Pastor. I sure appreciate you doing that. But it's really just about money. Those were his words. Just about money. And I said, Mayor, that's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt you. And he didn't get elected, by the way. <laughs> he, didn't get, he didn't get reelected. But the, the point I'm trying to make is somebody's got to stand up for these people. Because here's the deal. They brought in medical marijuana dispensaries into, into our area under the guise of there's people with diseases and, and stuff that medical marijuana helps, okay? Well, in the whole tri-county area, Mahoning County, Trumbull County, Columbiana County, they allowed three dispensaries, all right? We're talking about the whole rural area, suburban area, urban area. Guess where they put two of them? On my street. The most drug-infested, violent street in the entire tri-county area. Now, if you're from rural America, are you going to want to drive into my neighborhood to buy some medical marijuana? They put it there for a reason. Because they know that my neighborhood's going to hell. <laughs> they know that my neighborhood's already screwed up. Let's put it there. <laughs> so that we can drive in and buy it and go back to our neighborhood. Sometimes you've got to stand up for the powerless. And speak to power. Are you following me on that? Now, many of you may be thinking, I don't agree with that, Pastor. Okay, then use whatever you've got to use as your example. But I will tell you this, that God placed, you know, Elijah in the face of King Ahab to challenge him. You are killing the prophets of God. You are, you are murdering the people that are trying to worship God because of your worship of Baal. I'm not going to stand here and let you do this, right? He got in the face of the powerful on behalf of the powerless. Esther did the same exact thing. She went to the king and said, look, king, there's a scheme going on. There's, there's something going on around the back door. What, what Haman's trying to do is destroy an entire race of people. That's what's going on here. She spoke up. And I believe that God wants the church to be his vocal point. All right, last thing, and I'm closing here. Nehemiah appointed gatekeepers and intercessors on behalf of the community. Nehemiah 7.1. After the wall had been rebuilt, I set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. The church has a responsibility to not only develop its culture, but to watch over its community. We are to be gatekeepers. Gatekeepers. I'll tell you one more story. When we were having violent crime problem in Youngstown, we put together this strategy. We knew that 80, 85% of the violent crimes taking place in our city were being committed by 1% of the population. The reason we knew that is the police chief had done his study. 1% of the people living in our city 
were committing 85% of the crimes. So we did what you call a call-in. And we knew who those people were because they already had a record. So we, we pulled in uh, 30 at a time, and we'd bring them to court. It was called a call-in. And they'd bring them to court. Now, they, if they didn't show up to court, they were going to jail. They'd get to court, and the police chief would stand up and say, we know who you are. And he, then he'd put up on the PowerPoint, we know your crimes. He'd throw up over here, and here's your gang, all the people you run with. Then he'd throw up over here, and here's all the people who died in your gang. And here's all the people you killed. We're coming after you because the violence has to stop. Then he'd sit down. Then the prosecutor would get up. He'd pace the floor, and he'd say, here's how we're coming after you. If you have a felony on your record, and I'm a federal prosecutor, and you're carrying a bullet in your pocket, not even a gun, a bullet, I'm going to take your entire record because if you have a felony, you can't carry a weapon or any piece of a weapon. I'm throwing the book at you, and you're going to jail for at least 10 years if you have a bullet in your pocket. How about that? So he's scaring them. All right, and then one after another, the, the uh, coroner gets up there and says, here's your dead friends, and here's what happens when they get shut up, and they're on, and they're on my table. And, and then the next person gets up, and they're scaring them. Then at the end of the scared straight process, they have one of us pastors get up. We get up and say, now look, you have a choice today. We're not going to let you terrorize our city anymore. We're going to all work together. You have a choice. Either you get with the program or you get out of the program. Today, you can leave this courtroom and walk across the hall to that courtroom. We have a whole room of resources and churches that will help you get out of the the lifestyle you're in. Should you choose not to walk across the hallway and to go and continue to be a terrorist, we as the gatekeepers of this community are coming after you. (laughs) And let me tell you something. That is the most powerful experience I've ever had in my life. It's easy to preach the gospel to people who are at risk of going to jail for the rest of their life. And, and we would lead them to the Lord. They would go across the hallway. We'd get them involved in programs. I tell you right now, the first one I ever did, there was one kid that did not cross the hallway. He was dead within two weeks. Boom. And But the neat part about that is we, the church, had gotten to the point where we served the city and we pastored the city, and we influenced the culture of the city so much that when it got to the point where we we were allowed to be the gatekeepers of that city, we were allowed to point our finger in the troublemaker's face and say, we're not going to tolerate it any longer. And we had the authority of the judges, the justice system, and the police department right with us. And that's what God has called your church to be. Now, we got to go, and I'm going to pray and let you ask a question or two, but you got to understand, you got to put this in your context. I came to tell you my story. But every one of these principles will work in your context. Amen? So what I would challenge you to do is go home with these principles and pray, how can I apply this to my situation? Just before I pray, does anybody have any questions or comments or anything like that? Did I blow your mind? Did I offend you? What did I do? Yes. I'm from the greater Dayton area, and clearly we have an opioid problem in our area. 
when I've asked the question, what is, what is the body of Christ doing? I'm not a pastor, you know, I'm just a member of a congregation. And what I get is every church is doing their own ministry. Some operate through the food bank, and some have a ministry there and ministry here. And what's frustrating is I don't see the synergy of them all pulling together to try and make, you know, they're, they're each trying to have a little impact, but it's not having a major impact. Got any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I would congratulate them and thank them for doing something. And then I would just put the question out there, wouldn't it be cool if we could take what we're doing and what you're doing, what they're doing, and we put it together in a strategic plan? It'd be the difference between diff- light, diffuse light and Laser light, you know, relationships, spending time together. You were in our, no, you weren't praying together, taking people out to lunch. Tell me your story. Tell me your heart. Does this bother you? Because it bothers me. Building a relationship first. Sometimes we try to work together first. It, it never happens. You got to have relationship. That's my quick answer. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. They actually have a director for the whole state of Ohio. And I, I got, my wife has the information, but they have it on, online. It's called Release Time. And her name's Jennifer Miller. She's a lawyer. And the whole state of Ohio has a Release Time strategy and office and everything. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. They have all the templates of how you get permission from the school board and all that. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. All right. I threw a lot at you, and let's just pray because I believe that we can, there's enough people in this room that we're going to see some huge community transformation. But remember, the first statement I made is it's about longevity. you got to be patient. It's not going to happen right away. So you may be at the relationship building stage, and then the prayer stage, and then the study stage, and then the, and then the serve stage. Go from wherever you're at. Amen? Father God, in Jesus' name, help us learn how to take your word, uh, filter it into our life and to our environment and to our world, and to understand that you have empowered us and you have commissioned us to change lives and to change communities. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.